when you hear them, that sound when they're flying around your tent, that's also how they find each other to mate. So uh, the a male and a female of a given species, that, that sound is their, their wing beat frequency. And so a male and a female of a specific species will be attracted to a specific frequency of sound. Um, and that's how they find each other. It's almost like they sing to each other. This is Yukon North of Ordinary, the podcast. We share a more in-depth take on the most popular stories from our print magazine, showcasing the territory's extraordinary people, culture, and outdoors. I'm your host, Karen McCall. There are few things in nature less sexy than a mosquito, especially when one's buzzing around your head while you're trying to sleep. But it's also inevitable, after spending so much time in their company, to have questions. How do they grow? How do they flourish? And how do they die? I've found the right person to answer those and other questions. Dan Peach thinks mosquitoes are incredibly interesting and important to study. He's an assistant professor of mosquito ecology and infectious disease at the University of Georgia. Before that, he was at the University of British Columbia, and he's done several seasons of research in the Yukon. If his name sounds familiar to you, it's because Dan Peach made headlines earlier this summer asking for people to send him dead mosquitoes in the mail. More on that coming up. Here's our chat about everything you've ever wondered about mosquitoes and a lot of things you certainly haven't. So it's August now, but uh, the mosquitoes, it's been a really bad year for mosquitoes in the Yukon. What kind of conditions do mosquitoes like? So to take a step back, you kind of have to look at the, the mosquito life cycle. And um, there are different different species that, that do different things, but what they all have in common is their, their larvae are aquatic. And so um, some use uh, uh, temporary aquatic habitats like river flood uh, waters that will dry out. Some use permanent water habitats like marshes, um, lakes. And, uh, but in any case, their, their, their larvae are aquatic. And so you need water. Um, and so when you have uh, 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 great amounts of precipitation, uh, whether it's a snowpack or um, rain, um, you'll usually get a, a, a large amount of mosquitoes. Um, but you also need uh, warm warm weather for them to develop. And so there's sort of a trade-off between moisture and, and heat. So the ideal conditions for mosquitoes are both warm and moist, right? Um, even just humidity in the air helps them to, to live longer. But um, the, the more water that's available and the warmer it is, the more mosquitoes you will get. And so it sort of you know depends how, how things will shape up through the summer. But I know the last last uh, year, at least, if not the year before, was fairly you know big amount of, of snowfall and fairly wet. And so part of what we'd be seeing this year is, is are things that you know built up last year and are carrying over to this year. And then, you know, depending how 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 uh, our weather kind of goes, um, you might see an, an increase in that, or it might sort of taper taper off. But if it's if it's wet and and warm, then you will tend to have more mosquitoes. And then things sort of trade off, right? If it's warm um, and not very wet, well, some species will do well, but others won't. If it's wet but not very warm, then you have another subset of species that will do well, and, and others won't. Um, because each of these uh, species, and there are thirty three species that we know from from the Yukon. Um, are, are, are unique in how they, they, they exploit an ecological niche. And some of that is, like I mentioned, the different types of aquatic habitat they have. But also, you know, some will use the same aquatic habitat, but um, will deal with winter in different ways. So right. you'll have species that the adults will hibernate through winter, and then they'll come out first thing in the spring. And so if it's, if it's not very warm out, um, 
these guys tend to do better than ones that have to develop from scratch. They've sort of got a head start. Whereas the flip side, if it is warm out, um, you get some that, that the adults die off, but their eggs are laid before they die off. And then in the spring, the eggs hatch. Those ones tend to do well if it's warmer earlier. Um, so there are uh, you know, okay. sort of trade-offs if you don't meet, if you don't check all of the boxes, then some species can still do quite well. It's just which species uh, depends on the specific condition. Uh, okay, condition. so sticking with uh, the lifestyle, you mentioned hibernators. So some mm -hmm. of the mosquitoes are hibernating over the winter, and then are they then laying their eggs in the in the spring or depositing them, I guess? Yeah, so so um, there are... are uh, 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 several uh, uh, genera of, of mosquitoes in, in Yukon that are hibernators. And I use hi hibernators, not the technically accurate term, but it's it's close enough. And so what these species do um, is at, at the end of summer, the male and uh, a male and female will, will mate. Uh, the males are shorter lived and they tend to die off, but the females will just build up as much, like almost like a bear, right? They'll, they'll build up as many fat bodies as they can. And they actually uh, the primary food of both male and female adult mosquitoes is floral nectar. And so what these females will do is they'll just chow down on as much floral nectar as they can. They'll completely ignore biting to take blood. Um, but they will then find somewhere that's that's going to stay warm through the winter um, and, and, and sort of shelter down there. And so they'll look for things like, uh, well, human structures, uh, uh, sheds, attics, uh, 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 that kind of thing. Sometimes you'll find them just in your in your home. Um, but then in, in a natural world, they'll use, uh, you know, cracks in tree bark or piles of, of stones or rodent burrows. Um, there's even a species that's sometimes cheekily called Canada's national mosquito, which uh, tends to overwinter a lot in beaver lodges. Um, and these things go all the way up to the Arctic coast and they, they can survive those, those harsh winters because they just find a beaver lodge to, to spend the winter in. Um, and so these are all females, they're all mated, so they're all ready to go. And once uh, next spring comes along, as soon as uh, it's warm enough for them to fly, they'll go out, they'll find a blood meal, and they'll start laying their eggs. And so in the spring, sometimes we notice early spring, the first mosquitoes are kind of like bigger and slower. Are those the ones mm -hmm. that have overwintered? Yes, exactly. Um, and so those, uh, uh, there are um, uh, three genera of, of, of mosquitoes in, in Yukon that do this. Uh, one is Anopheles, uh, the other, uh, another is uh, Kulisita, and another is Kulex. Um, and so uh, those are the Anopheles and the, the Kulisita tends to be larger species. Uh, the Kulisita particular, if you see um, one, of, one of these, they, they tend to be a bit larger, a bit more robust. And uh, one of the species, the, the common name for it is the cool weather mosquito. So that tells you sort of what it's adapted for. We like the the big slow ones because they're easier to get rid of earlier in the season. <laughs> kind of gets us ready for the the big push there. <laughs> okay, so Fair there's enough. you said there's 33 different species of mosquito mosquitoes in the Yukon. Um, they all do they all bite humans? Um, so that's a good question, and no, they do not. Um, several species uh, don't bite uh, humans at all. Um, they are are restricted to to feeding on, for instance, amphibians. Um, uh, Kulex uh, uh, teratans is one of these species, um, and it feeds exclusively on frogs. It, you, you cannot get it to bite people. Um, several other species will feed on just, they'll preferentially feed on birds, but they will also feed on, on, on you know, mammals if they're desperate um, or if a really good opportunity presents itself. And then there are other species that preferentially feed on, 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 uh, on mammals, um, and they tend to, to quite like people. Um, we don't have any, any uh, uh, that feed only, that, that take blood only from, from humans, um, but there are 
you know, there are uh, humans are definitely among the the animals that some of these species preferentially take blood from. But I should say that there are also species that can reproduce and uh, uh, and develop eggs, and that's why a female mosquito takes blood is solely to get the nutrition to develop her eggs. Um, there are some species in Yukon that that can develop their eggs without taking blood at all. And they'll use energy from their um, that they've things they've eaten when they're in the larval stage. So they they tend to be filter feeders, um, feeding on algae and, and decomposing organic material, and they'll use their their energy left over from that as well as um, nutrition and and energy from consuming floral nectar. Um, and so there are species that can do that to develop their eggs, but they tend to lay fewer eggs when they use that strategy as opposed to taking blood. Um, okay. But the trade off is that then they don't have the risk, you know, getting swatted. Uh, by a person or, you know, crushed by a, a, a bear that's rolling over or uh, hit by a horse's tail or, 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 or something like that, you know? So if you're trapped or not trapped, but if you're in a tent and there's a couple mosquitoes in there and you just can't find them, you can hear them. Like, can you just be like, okay, they'll bite me once and then they'll leave me alone. Or <laughs> do some actually bite more than once? Um, well, it, it, it depends. Um, but once they are, once they are satiated, once they have had, you know, like the, the, maximum volume of blood that they need then they'll leave you alone um depending on on the species there are some that'll you know like oh if they get one blood meal and it's not enough they're still like gonna hunker down and and uh be in it become a little inactive while they digest it then there are others that like if you disturb them part way through they'll just keep coming back for more um but interesting when you when you hear them that sound when they're flying around your tent that's also how they find each other to mate um so, so uh, the, the male and a female of a given species, that, that sound is their, their wind beat frequency. And so a male and a female of a specific species will be attack, attracted to a specific frequency of sound. Um, and that's how they find each other. It's almost like they sing to each other. <laughs> yeah, you're very good at uh, impersonating that sound, which I guess doesn't surprise me with this, <laughs> the time you spend around mosquitoes. <laughs> so the, yeah. the males don't bite though, is that, is that correct? Correct. Males are, um, are physically incapable of, of biting, uh, taking blood. And it's also toxic to them. If you can trick them into, into doing it and sort of force feed it to them, um, it, it kills them. So is that they something are not you've interested tried? in it. They can't do it. And even if you force them to do it, they die. Is that something you've tried is feeding them blood? Uh, other, I, other people have done that. Um, and you basically, what you do is you like, you basically dehydrate them and, and then have, you know, just a, a cotton wick soaked in blood is the only source of moisture. And then they just get so thirsty, they go for it, but then it kills them. Oh, gosh, that's sort of tragic. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it sounds like the females generally live longer than the males. So in, in an yes. ideal world for them where they don't get uh, predated on, like how long could they live for? So it, it depends how you want to define it. Um, do you, if you include the egg stage, um, there are some species that can live for up to three years. Um, Before they, they hatch, hatch in one summer and, you know, hibernate and then kind of go through, you know, uh, all these. As far as staying in the adult stage, right, once you actually see an adult mosquito out there, um, looking at like in a hibernating species, nine months to a year is is the max. But again, a, a large part of that is is uh, in, in diapause is the technical term for the type of uh, um, thing they do through the, the winter. So a large part of it is just sort of being, you know, hunkered down, not doing anything, slow metabolism kind of shut down. But it, in, in uh, yeah, in, in broad terms, you could say that, yes, an adult might be alive for, for, you know, a few months short of a year. Wow. Okay. And so is it possible that the females could have a blood meal late, late, well, deposit eggs or whatever that is, yep. and then, and then repeat? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And many, many, um, that, that's what all species try to do. They all try to get as many batches of eggs as they can. Um, 
Now, some species only have their eggs hatch once a year. So, you know, it could be a, a female will try and lay multiple batches of eggs and then die off. And then next year, all those eggs hatch at once. Um, some species, they sort of build up throughout the year, but you, uh, they, they all want to try and take, you know, have many, many batches of eggs. And there are species that you, that you can just go exponential if they get the right conditions and the number of eggs. Some of them, the, the females, if they get a blood meal, can lay up to, you know, 200 eggs or so, right? And so... Um, it, uh, uh, one of these species that's not super common in, in Yukon, but it is there. If you get it in the right conditions, um, it can lay its eggs. And then 96 hours later, you'll have these eggs hatched into adults that are biting. Right. And so oh if you gosh. get a really good. Yeah. And then so if you get a really, really great batch of conditions for, for this thing, you know, you get get two weeks, three weeks. You can just go from almost none of these things to just being overwhelmed by them. So it it it, it just sort of depends. Uh, obviously, you've been doing your uh, your research in NBC and the Yukon and other places. Like, what what's the worst kind of mosquito situation you've been in? And also, like, do you are you seeking these situations out? <laughs> um, yes, I am seeking them out, and and they they my my worst situations have have been uh, uh, I can say uh, in the Yukon or on the border between BC and the Yukon. So there's two. Um, there's one one. Set, set a segment of highway where you're going sort of between um back and forth between bc and and, and the yukon there that uh, uh I've, I've encountered some pretty rough uh mosquito conditions in a bog there and then the other other area where i encountered the and i really didn't expect to encounter these conditions so i must have hit some rare um stuff just right but was uh, on the slims river uh flats there sort of um uh, and I understand that it's kind of drying up there now, so things might uh, might not be be the same there. But uh, just you know, it was very warm, and there was a lot of uh, uh, flood water or rainwater around, and it had just made some perfect conditions for for these things. But like, really, you get there. I but I know I know there are areas that get far worse, such as on the the border between the tundra and the tree line. That's um, uh, from people that I've talked to that do extensive work in that area. That's probably the the worst place on planet Earth for mosquitoes. Yeah. So um, <laughs> I, I I don't want to gatekeep. There are people that have had far worse uh, experiences than I, and I I trust their judgment. So I know that it can get worse. But you know, really anywhere you get where you you get that sort of mass buzzing sound, right, where it sounds like you're near a beehive, but it's all the mosquitoes around you. You just kind of cross a threshold where it's like, well, it's just really bad. And yeah. Um, I, I get into these these areas and I don't because I want them to come to me. I'm not wearing bug spray. Oh, and so that's that's uh, uh, an area that I, I know, like if I have to wear bug spray on my way out, um, that's how I know that it's sort of crossed that threshold for me. And then those are those two areas where I've had to do that. Uh, and are you wearing bug jackets at least? Nope. I want them to come to me. Well, yeah, I want them to come to me. And when they land and try to bite, that's that's when I would, would collect. Them. Oh, you're so luring if them. There's a bug jacket. They're not going to stay still long enough for me to get them. Um, you can use traps, but uh, many of the, the features that, that uh, I'm interested to, to identify as species are, are scales and sort of soft tissue that when you catch them in a trap or in a butterfly net, these things will, will rub off. Um, so I kind of have to wait for them to land on me and individually capture them in little vials uh, or in a little suction tube and then put them into vials and then put them on ice. And that way they don't get too, too bashed up. Wow. Okay. So uh, interesting work, not for everyone. What, what do you like about this? Um, I find it fascinating in that that like mosquitoes are one of the animals that like humans are most familiar, right? Like I've yet to meet a person who hasn't met a mosquito. <laughs> um, um, now that that's because they can be so so bad for us, right? I mean, not not so much in 
in, in northern climates, but they, they kill a lot of people in, in some parts of the globe. I mean, it's thought that um, approximately half of all humans that have ever existed have been killed by mosquito-borne pathogens. They kill more people than people, which is astounding. Um, wow. And, and, and so there's, there's that sort of element to it, just like, you know, we're, we're very aware of them and what they, what they do. Um, and they have profound effects on, on humans as a species. But the other element of it is that our interaction with them and on our, our knowledge of them tends to be quite narrow. It's, they fly up to us, they try to bite us, we smack them. There's a brown, mushy blob in your hand. Okay, carry on, right? Um, they have this whole other secret life that I, I find fascinating. And basically, it's everything that mosquitoes do that doesn't have to do with people. So um, we've talked about feeding on floral nectar. So, so their, their, uh, their interactions with, with plants and with other animals in the environment, their life history and what they do, um, how they find each other to mate, how they decide where to lay their eggs, how their larvae survive and, and interact and compete, what eats them. Um, all these, these sort of things I, I find just, just fascinating. And it's, it's an area that, that hasn't really received a lot of research attention. I mean, rightly so, when you do think of like, optimizing the use of resources to, you know, pe for people's health and saving lives and, or, or even just dealing with uh, nuisance and, and quality of life. But, you know, in, in, a, in a world of, of declining pollinator populations and that sort of thing, I, I kind of feel like it's probably something that we should also be paying attention to in addition to, to these other things we investigate. Time for a short break. We'll be right back. Do you have a Yukon North of Ordinary hoodie yet? What about a t-shirt? A toque? mug. Check out the full product line at the retail store in Whitehorse, located on the corner of 2nd Avenue and Steele Street across from City Hall. Limited products can also be ordered from northofordinary.com. And while you're there, don't forget to pick up a magazine subscription. And now back to the episode. Earlier this summer, uh, it was only a month ago at the time of recording this, you asked people to, um, if they were swatting a mosquito on them, to to mail it into you. Um, I know like yes. you said that was only four weeks ago. Have you received any submissions in the mail yet? We have, we have. Um, we've just, uh, it's, they've started, they sort of, it took a while, things start trickling in, then we started getting a bunch. And we'll see if it's just a, a spike or if it, it maintains uh, a whole bunch. But um, we're just starting to, to get processing on ID and uh, um, doing the genetic testing to, to, to get their barcodes and ID them. So we don't have any uh, results from um, from it yet, but we do have the specimens from people. So we're very happy that people are, are mailing them in. And please continue to do so. Um, we're going to run it through the end of, of this summer, at least. And then depending how, on how things go and, and, and funding and all that, we, we might uh, start it off uh, again next year and make it a recurring thing. Um, but we're hoping to to get some really neat stuff in there. Like So there's 33 species that are currently known from Yukon, but there are a few more that probably exist there and just haven't been been detected yet. And then there's always the the, the possibility of species moving north, right? As 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 climate changes. Um, so so uh, in the last few years, I, I've just you know when I'm up in the Yukon collecting stuff, I've I've found several species that weren't previously known from the territory. And there's some of them that we suspect were there all along, and there are some that we suspect have sort of moved north as climates change. And we it, it's in some ways unfortunate that we didn't have baseline data before to be able to conclusively you know know one way or the other um but but it's it's at the very least it's good to know that they're there now and what's going on so that if things change from here that can be determined but also this project is trying to get that baseline for things that we we don't have yet so that we can um, um conclusively make make some statements in the future We'll definitely, uh, excuse me, post the address for mailing those mosquitoes um, in our in our uh, posts when we when we put this episode up. Thanks. Would Would you like me to read it off? I can do so if that's sure. Okay. Um. So yeah, please please send them to uh, the Ben Matthews Lab in the UBC Department of Zoology, address four two zero zero 
University Boulevard, Vancouver, BC, postal code V6T1Z4. Thank you. One of, one of the things you said you're looking at is uh, mosquitoes that might be moving further north. And is that mm-hmm. is that also related, the concern or the interest in that related to, as you mentioned earlier, the diseases? Because I believe in the north, we don't currently have mosquitoes that carry diseases. But of course, in, in warmer climates, there are those. So, so there are, um, but it's so there, there are things that tend to be very rare or very mild. Um, there, uh, snowshoe hair virus is, is something that is present in the Yukon and it has been for decades. Like it's naturally occurring there. It's far as we're aware, always been there, but, um, it's just so mild and so rare that it's, you know, not really, uh, uh, an issue. You get one person across all of Canada that goes to the hospital with it, maybe every three or four years. And that's like including, you know, Ontario and Quebec and that kind of stuff. And so you kind of have to get just a really, really high biting pressure in an area where this thing is super, super abundant. And even then you get basically a cold or a bad cold. out of it. Right. right? So most people um, wouldn't even know, know, know how yeah, they got yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. And th- there are certainly cases where it can be much worse, though those have happened. But it's just it's so rare and it's it's not, you know, it's a it's a it's a thing that exists, but it's it's not uh, it, it's not um a super uh, severe thing to be concerned about. Um, Western equine encephalitis um, might be there. And if not, it, it's something that might uh, ar- arrive before um, many other things because it's it's present in, you know, Canadian prairies and in parts of British Columbia. Um, and it's in, in, in the pr- Southern parts of the prairies. Uh, it did kill a few people in, in the seventies, um, but it hasn't really been a, a problem since then. Um, and part of that was just, just, you know, okay, we're aware of it. There were some, uh, possibly some one-off events that made that a bad thing. And then also like it's primarily found in, in you know, horses and, and, and that sort of thing. And so um, my understanding at least is that most horses are vaccinated for it now. Um, so it doesn't really get a chance to build up to be transferred to people. Um, you know, theoretically decades down down the line, um, um, West Nile might might uh, make its way that far north, but that that's, um, would be sort of far in the future and, and it would be you know, spreading in, in BC and Northern Alberta um, well ahead of then. One thing that is sort of on the, on the radar, um, there are, there are certainly are other, other Northern pathogens that might, uh, 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 that aren't, aren't an issue, but might become uh, an issue just with, with a mutation um, and that kind of thing. Like, you know, a virus is benign, but if it gets the wrong mutations and then spreads around, um, maybe that's a thing, or if it hops host species, like we've seen with, with, with COVID, right. Where that was, wasn't really a thing that was for humans until a couple of years ago. And then it managed to hop. So these things can, can change. I want to be very, very clear about that, that just because things are a way, certain way now doesn't mean they might not change in the future. And then there's always the, the, the risk of new things turning up that, that weren't here before. So for instance, there are pathogens in um, uh, 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 Russia and East Asia that uh, theoretically could arrive in, in North America and whether or not they would, they would, um, be an issue in, in the Yukon, uh, sort of, we have to, 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 we would have to see, but things like um, Japanese encephalitis virus is a problem in Japan and, and parts of the Russian Far East. Um, and it's not inconceivable that that could, could turn up in North America and, and, and uh, be a, a problem in, in Yukon. Um, um, so those are, are uh, not certainties, but they are things that are, are at least on the radar that people are thinking about. But as it stands now, um, there's not really anything that's, that's too, too, too worrisome from a mosquito point of view. Just the annoyance. That's pretty lucky, I yep. guess. I did crowdsource a few more questions from, uh, friends. Oh, absolutely. this one actually came from a friend's, um, 
like a, a young person, a kid, um, they said, do mosquitoes pee after they bite you? <laughs> so um, they do something similar where if, if, if you let a mosquito uh, bite you and sit there or you watch it after it flies to the wall, you'll see sometimes a drop of um, red fluid building up on the tip of its abdomen. And uh, what, what, what the, the mosquito, what she's doing there um, is she's trying to get rid of some waste, but she's also trying to um, heat regulate. So um, a mosquitoes are, are cold-blooded animals. And so if it's you know 20 degrees out and a mosquito bites you, she shoots up from 20 degrees or whatever the external temperature is to your body temperature. So 30, you know, 36, 37 degrees, that's a massive change in heat that happens almost instantaneously for such a small animal. And they have to do a whole bunch of things to, to not just die because of that change in heat. But one of the things they do is they try and get rid of some of this extra fluid. And it's also, you know, getting rid of non-nutritious parts of your blood to be able to consume more blood and get more nutrition. And then, you know, a few days down, down the road from there, um, um, she will defecate and, 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 you know, poop out some um, uh, uh, byproducts of digesting your blood. But you'll absolutely see them getting rid of some of this fluid. Yeah. What about them biting you? Is what, or what makes it itch, the bite? Um, yeah. So there, are, there are, are, are things in their saliva that do so. And that's actually how they transmit pathogens as well. But when a mosquito bites you, she injects a whole bunch of her saliva into your 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 uh, skin, into your bloodstream. There, um, some of it's to help digest. Um, some of it's uh, you know so that you don't um, like anticoagulants that kind of stuff. And some of it's uh, uh, just 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 to, to to help her get in there. And and so these things can result in in you you, you getting itchy afterwards. And different species will have different components. And so it's interesting because you will see some people that are um, they they'll they'll react to the bites of certain species but not others. Uh, sometimes with pretty bad allergic reactions. Um, and then like for myself, I, I blood feed uh, one of our species in the lab. I feed them on myself and I have for years. And so it's closely related species when I'm bit by them in the wild do almost nothing to me. But if I get bit by uh, other species that aren't related to them, they're just as bad as, as, as any other bites. So I, that's something I was wondering, because I, I don't often use bug spray and I'm just like, OK, maybe I can kind of build up some tolerance to their bites. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure if tolerance is the right word, but your body kind of adapts to it. Now, the flip side, though, is that you have to be careful because at least what I was always told is that some people would would develop that, but others might develop an allergy. So oh, okay. um, <laughs> it sort of depends how your body reacts. Okay, so now it's August. We're kind of getting into the time when there's less mosquitoes around. What what makes them actually start to to die off? The ones that die off, I should say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's there. There are two uh, two things. Um, heat and dryness are the number one. Uh, uh, what what most species tend to die from. Um, things will also eat them. But what 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 really, as you go later and later in the summer, you're just you're you're losing like the species that came out early in the summer are 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 just they're being eaten they're dying they're drying out and they're not uh, they often only have one generation a year so their their generation that comes out in the spring you're just sort of far enough removed from that that most of them have died off the species that will build up through the summer and then hibernate at the end uh, to go through the winter they're 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 around they're building their numbers up um, but they they just they don't tend to get as abundant as some of the the species that just do this one big burst of population. But you are also getting things that eat them, so you'll get the populations of predators that that, that build up. Um, and then once you get far enough, you'll start getting it just being too cold for for them. Um, and so that'll start start triggering them to to go into hibernation. They get a combination of temperature and and um, day length will just trigger them to oh you know it's season's coming to an end. I better hunker down and hibernate for the winter. 
we kind of think of like a hard frost as good overnight. Is that, is that yep. sort of the temperature that they might start disappearing at? They're probably going to, going to um, start disappearing a bit before that, because if they're out and it's you know, frost develops, it'll probably kill them off. Um, so the, the species tend to sort of leave a buffer zone in there, if you will. Um, where where they're sort of oh okay well there might be a frost a week from now I better start finding somewhere to 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 hibernate. Okay, um, smart. They they have to survive in some pretty extreme conditions and they're very good at it. So I'd like to end on um, a good note, or it's sort of talking about some of the things we appreciate mis- about mosquitoes. And you've mentioned uh, that a lot of them rely on this like floral nectar. And mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. Are, what kind of pollinators are there? I know we think of like bees as really important pollinators. Like are mosquitoes actually important as well? That's a good question. And it doesn't have an answer yet. Um, so for the longest time, um, mosquitoes were just assumed to not pollinate. Um, it was, it was thought that, you know, if they do, uh, it's, it's very little. Um, um, and to be fair, like I, I suspect that part of this mindset would just be, well, if mosquitoes are pollinators, it's rather inconvenient when we're trying to spray insecticides on them. So it's easier to just sort of, well, they're not pollinators, then we don't have to worry about it and just sort of make that declaration. Um, but we are, are learning that, that mosquitoes can pollinate. Um, how important they are hasn't been, been answered yet. Um, that's a question that I would love to, to, to investigate in my, my research career. Things like like there are some orchids in in Yukon that that are pollinated by mosquitoes. There are some some flowers up on the tundra that are thought to to, to have some some mosquito pollination. And then things that that look like think of the center of a daisy where you have these compound flowers with lots of little florets in there. Um, they're sort of they match up quite well with the morphology of a, of the mosquito the the needle the proboscis that, that you're bit with. Um, that's what gets stuck down into these to, to get the nectar. And so they kind of match up quite well. And it seems like there's some pollination going on there. Now, how important, uh, like I said, it's an open question. But when you think of just how many mosquitoes are present in some areas, an individual might not have to do very much at all for, you know, the species as a whole to 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 contribute a lot. Just the sheer biomass there. And the same kind of goes with 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 them as a, a food source for for other things, right? Like there are lots of things that eat mosquitoes, from predi- um, um, predaceous uh, uh, beetles to 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 dragonflies to spiders to 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 bats and birds. And how how important they are for any of these given animals is you know there there's some debate about. Um, but they they you think of just how many of them there are, it it, it sort of suggests that they at least in some circumstances should be pretty or could be pretty important yeah i was uh, in stuart crossing last week and it was some of the worst mosquitoes i've seen certainly of this season and then drove across the bridge over the uh stuart river i guess it would be and just Mm -hmm. swallows everywhere and i'm like okay well (laughs) the swallows are happy right now yeah yeah there's there's always been a debate about how much uh how, how how many mosquitoes swallows eat and Different people are on different sides of it, and it's sort of a hard one to answer because mosquitoes are so soft; they're not going to last very long when they're in a swallow. Um, so it's sort of hard to to to, to figure that out. But and I mean, honestly, even if there is nothing that that's eating them and they're not pollinating at all, they're still transferring biomass from these aquatic environments where they're eating, you know, algae and decomposing matter. They're they're taking these nutrients that might not be otherwise available and transferring them into biomass, and then flying off and dying. And decomposing and adding those nutrients um, to the environment. Again, an individual mosquito is quite small, but you think of just how many there are in certain areas, uh, it, it might add up. 
So bottom line is they're not something that we should just wish away and that have no uh, impact on our ecosystems. Yeah, I, 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 on, I think that the, the, the way to approach it is to just try and find the most targeted and elegant um, control measures you can, right? So in, in trop, like especially in areas where they transmit pathogens, there's a very real human cost there, right? And so that's sort of like, well, how do you, how do you compare human health and, and suffering versus um, the environment and ecosystem services? And so there's a very real trade-off that has to be made there, right? Now, the, 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 the luxury, especially in, in, in northern areas, is that like it's, it's an, an annoyance versus a, uh, an ecosystem service. So that's where things like wearing repellents are important because then, you know, they don't bite you, but what they what they do out in the environment that gets preserved. And it's sort of the best of both worlds. And so trying to, 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 to use sort of those measures is probably the, the way to go where you preserve all these things that they do in the environment, but you don't have to, to deal with them biting you as much. And there, there are other other ways that you can address um, that than just repellents, but they're sort of the, the easiest way to do so. This is maybe a bit of a controversial opinion, but I noticed that in the U.S., a batch of GMO mosquitoes was released that I believe is supposed to eventually create, like, get rid of the female population or something. So there's non-biters. Is how, how does that sit with you? Yeah. Um, so it's 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 certainly a very interesting topic of conversation, and it it, it does you know there are are differing opinions about it. Hence hence the controver- uh, controversy, but. Uh, part of that is just you know values-based stuff, right? So it's not necessarily where, where different people are wrong about anything. It's just that there are different things that they they value more than than somebody else might. Um, my my own take on it um, is that uh, especially in, in in you know with with uh, us realizing how uh, the role that mosquitoes can play in the ecosystem, they're, they're what they might do for pollination and as food for other things, um, as well as for nutrient transfer. That um, any any mosquito control measures that are are targeted and and elegant are are um, very very uh, are, are are appreciated and there are improvements over some of the more brute force things that we do and so they will sort of preserve these ecological functions that mosquitoes have by only targeting one species in one particular place and time so you will you know you'll have maybe ten or twenty species that are active in an area and you can use these technologies to remove the one that's uh, a problem. Um, and that way the others out there can still do their thing and, and, you know, pollinate and do things in the ecosystem. Now, the other elements to this are that, you know, especially in the areas where these are, 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 are happening, they tend to be invasive mosquitoes that are targeted with this. So you're, you're, you're targeting something that isn't naturally occurring in the local ecosystem anyways, at least in the U.S. There are parts of uh, Africa where these species are native um, and, and they are being targeted with it there. But uh, even then, then it, it comes down to the, um, uh, you know, the, these, these things spread pathogens. They can kill people. They can disfigure people. They can negatively impact people's quality of life, even when they're, they're not uh, lethal. And so then it really comes down to those sort of trade-offs, right? And where you, you, you value those sort of things relative to, to any ecological contributions. But at the very, uh, at the very least, it is a way to, to, to target these things and control mosquitoes and, and, and mitigate their health impacts in um, a, a way that, that limits the, uh, the sort of collateral damage to the ecosystem uh, more, more effectively than any other technologies that we, we currently have. Um, and so I certainly think they're a useful tool in, in, the, in the toolbox um, um, for, for uh, places where, where mosquitoes can cause health issues or where they are, are invasive. 
Uh, well, this has been uh, super interesting. Thank you so much for talking to me today. Hey, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. If this chat has you excited to learn more about mosquitoes in the Yukon, and I hope it does, Dan has a guide to that exact thing. The Yukon is home to unending hordes of mosquitoes, he writes, and here we provide a comprehensive guide to their identification and biology. You can find that mosquito guide free on the Biological Survey of Canada website. And if you want to mail Dan dead mosquitoes, throw them in a regular envelope and include the address or GPS location of where you killed them. You can mail those to the Ben Matthews Lab, UBC Zoology, 4200-6270 University Boulevard, Vancouver, BC, V6T1Z4. That's it for this episode of Yukon North of Ordinary, the podcast. Please share this episode and leave us a review. It really helps. Subscribe anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also subscribe to our print magazine by going to northofordinary.com. While you're there, check out Yukon North of Ordinary merchandise. And for a full product line, visit the Bricks and Mortar store in Whitehorse, located on the corner of 2nd Avenue and Steele Street, across from City Hall. There's a great selection of clothing, hats, stickers, glassware, and more. Do you have something to say about this episode? We'd love to hear from you. Find us on social media at North of Ordinary. You can also contact me, Karen McCall, with feedback or story ideas. Editor at northofordinary.com is my email. Thanks to the whole team at North of Ordinary Media. Our podcast artwork is by art director Manu Kegenhoff. Our music is by Head Candy and tribeofnoise.com. Thanks for listening. We have another episode coming out soon. I hope you listen in. Thank you.